0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up first, you'll be hearing from writer and podcast host Tony Ranke of Desiring God, who provides his analysis on the relationship of faith and technology. Also, Jenny Albers shares from her own experience about not only her pregnancy loss, but provides encouragement about walking through pregnancy again after such a loss. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll meet Stacy Morgan. She's married to an astronaut and provides some insight about how she trusted in God to hold things together and work in her life when her husband was thousands of miles away in space. Finally, the March for Life drew multiple thousands to Washington, D.C. in January, and Jeff Hunt of the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University accompanied a group of students to the pro-life event and offers a report. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Tony Ranke is a writer and host of the podcast Ask Pastor John. He is also a senior teacher at Desiring God. He has some ideas about the relationship of the Christian faith to technology and has written a book entitled God, Technology, and the Christian Life. To explore some
1: elements of how tech affects our Christian work, here is Tony Ranke. I think for the better part of the last century, the church's theologians have really told us that faith and technology don't belong in the same conversation. And, uh, you know, all human innovation is Babel-like, it's worldly, it's wicked, it's sinful, it's destructive. And so when you speak of human tech, you know, sort of leave God out of the conversation. And that's largely what the what Christians have done for a long time. And now we live inside the most technologically advanced age that the world has ever seen. Many Christians work inside major tech centers. As you said, we can work online, we can do Zoom with co-workers, and uh, we're just adorned with all these te- technological possibilities. And so... Uh, the church now needs to speak and the church is mute. I mean the church has uh, has a loss of words and so there's a growing desire to ask whether or not we got this right over the past century or maybe we lost something along the way? you know should when we speak of technology, should we push God out of the conversation uh, as basically irrelevant and should we buy into t- kind of a, a godless dystopian vision of the world that drives the world's uh, television shows and movies and scary novels today? And for me, and for a growing number of christians we're asking if there's another way to go about this because perhaps we we sold god short in that and perhaps we lost sight of his incredible generosity to us today and presume upon his gifts and take them for granted i mean we we live with 10,000 innovations that we use every single day i mean you name it every walk of of our every part of our lives is is uh, informed by uh, in, innovations that we use, I mean, we're using tons of innovations right now to speak and to broadcast this conversation. And so, I'm utterly amazed <laughs> and in shock that I get to live in 2022, and not 1922 or 1822 or 1722 or 1622. God said, "No, he, Tony Ranky and Bob, they're going to live in 2022, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them all these gifts of technology so they they can talk, you know, so that they can uh, encourage and edify one another." That to me is amazing, and so. I'm trying to wrestle through this, and a lot of other Christians are trying to wrestle through God's place in uh, the story of technology.
0: So what do you see as a relationship between our sovereign God, creator of the universe, and the development of technology as a whole? Broad view of, of the relationship between technology and a sovereign God
1: yeah and that's why it takes a 300 page book to do this to lay this out it really is the the biggest point that has to be made because that really at at essence is what's gotten lost is that Uh, we have a vision of of the creator that's sort of been withdrawn from human innovation and the drama of human history in such a way that we when we think of technology today he's just gone and missing and so that's why i've got to go back to those texts and i've got to explain slowly genesis 4 and Cain's lineage and why god preserves Cain, and then we walk through babel what does god how does god respond to human rebellion in Babel and what about the flood what does the flood teach us and what is David and Goliath what does that teach us about God's role in warfare Psalm 20 what can we say about God's role in warfare there and Isaiah 54 what is God's relationship to the most potent war weapons we can imagine on the battlefield today in Isaiah 28, what's God's relationship to the farmer who's learning new skills, using new tools to raise crops? And what do we do with Revelation 18 when we look at when we look at Babylon and when it's finally put down, what is God's relationship uh, to that and to human innovation at its very peak? And so it's a big story that's got to be told through all of those texts, and they all have to be put together. So it's really hard to summarize that, other than to say it is an incredible story, an incredible journey. And uh, is basically understanding uh, God's relationship to human cities. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. The story of human innovation and the story of, of man's cities uh, in relation to God is essentially the same story. And so we just have to work through that patiently. And uh, I try to write as short of a book as I possibly could, but at 300 pages, it's so long. <laughs> but there's a lot to say in trying to answer that very question, because that's the exact right question. What is God's relationship as the sovereign creator of the universe? What's his relationship to us? What's his relationship to the creation and what it makes possible in our engineering feats? And uh, how do we live as Christians in this highly technological age? And what do we say to those Christians who work inside Silicon Valley? Uh, does the church have anything to do with discipling them to uh, benefit and to, and to benefit all of us by, by investing in major platforms like Facebook and Google and Tesla and pushing Christians, young Christians to envision them to actually serve their God inside of the tech industry. So all of those, those questions come back to it, the, what is God's relationship to technology? And that's, that's the theme of the book. Tony Ranke here on the intersection. You can find him at the Linktree site at
0: Tony Ranke R-E-I-N-K-E, or through desiringgod.org. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, and the author of the book, Courageously Expecting, 30 Days of Encouragement for Pregnancy After Loss, Jenny Albers, shared about her own personal experience and how she developed a sense of hope in Christ during a difficult season. From that conversation, this is Jenny Albers. Now,
2: I mean, statistics are that on average, one in four pregnancies will end in loss. Um, and then, on top of that, um, statistics also show that seventy-five percent to eighty-five percent of women will go on to become pregnant again within a year of pregnancy loss. So, both experiences are very common. Um, and I felt the need to speak of pregnancy after loss because we don't talk about that quite as much as we do about pregnancy loss.
0: Well, tell us before we talk about the, I guess, the motivation for writing the book as you moved into that fourth pregnancy, give us an idea about what was was going through your mind, your husband's mind, and perhaps what God was teaching you in the midst of really embarking on this journey yet again.
2: Yeah. I mean, we were terrified, both my husband and I, Mm -hmm. um, maybe me more so. Um, it was a really difficult decision to make. We, there were several months between the loss of Micah and when we did become pregnant again, um, we met with specialists. We did a lot of praying. Um, and we did just a lot of, I mean, honestly, just sitting and, and, and thinking about what was going to come next. Um, It was so emotionally draining, the grief from loss. And we knew that going into another pregnancy was going to be really hard. Um, But we also knew that we wanted another child and we didn't want to base our decision on fear. Um, You know, God says that children are good things. I I didn't feel that, um, that deciding to move forward would be a wrong decision other than were we going to have these consequences maybe of more grief. Um so it, it it was a difficult decision that really came to us through time and also um there came a point when I really had to surrender my idea of what I wanted my family to look like. Um, After several months of grief, um, I found myself in tears at the gym, really telling God I'm done, I surrender, I'm going to stop trying to control the timing of this and I'm going to stop trying to control the situation because I was just so exhausted from trying to do those things. And I think sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves um, in order to move forward in faith.
0: Well, let's do talk about the inspiration or the direction that you receive from the Lord as far as really telling your story. And interestingly enough, the book is called Courageously Expecting. Obviously, courage is one of those components. I would say it took quite a bit of courage to be able uh, to, to move forward and actually tell your story. So give us an idea about the, the inspiration of that process for telling your story.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say that this really started in 2015 after our second loss. Um, I felt the Lord telling me many times that something was going to happen with this story. Um, I didn't know what that was. Uh, so fast forward after our son was born. So that would have been our fourth pregnancy. Um, about a year later, I began writing and God really just, he placed me um, in writing groups. He placed me um, just in, with different people in the lost community who had platforms. Um, he grew a little bit of a platform for me online. And um, he really put me just in a situation in where I had the opportunity to write a book. And I honestly give God all the glory for this because it's, Um, unlikely. I'm an unlikely person to be speaking about this or writing about it um, as I've never been someone who's been um, very vocal about anything publicly.
0: Jenny Albers here on The Intersection. You can find out more at Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, Albers, A-L-B-E-R-S dot com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast in the Media Center as well as to the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and more. This is the Intersection Podcast with the author of the book, The Astronaut's Wife, How Launching My Husband into Outer Space Changed the Way I Live on Earth. It's Stacey Morgan, who in a recent conversation shared about some aspects of her marriage to an astronaut and how God worked in her life during his nine-month period in space, serving on a mission to the International Space Station. Here now from that conversation is Stacey Morgan.
3: Because he launched in 2019, we were not yet launching from Florida. So all uh, astronauts had to ride Russian rockets to get to and from the International Space Station up until 2020. And so we were in Kazakhstan on the other side of the world. That's where the Russians launched their rockets. And so... We are standing in this uh, this field, really, if you can imagine a just kind of a desolate kind of dry field because it's the middle of the summer and the sun has just set. And uh, there, there's no big countdown clocks. There's no uh, blaring loudspeakers. It's just you uh, looking at your watch and you know that that ground crew is going to launch that rocket, you know, not one second earlier or one second later. Uh, and so standing there holding my kids' hands, Um, It was kind of this holy moment because, you know, and I've certainly never uh, faced this before in my life. I know most people will not have this opportunity, but you know that in in 10 seconds, this day is either going to be one of the most amazing, awe-inspiring, proud moments of your life, or you're going to become a widow. Mm. And you're going to do it holding your kids' hands with the world watching, in real time along t- with you. And that's terrifying. It's emotionally overwhelming. It's um, kind of a physically overwhelming trip. And, and then as the rocket lights and you can feel it in the ground and the, it's so bright and it's so loud. It's, so it's really this, this emotional overwhelming moment plus the physicality of just watching this rocket light. And it's uh, it, it's a completely overwhelming experience and it, and it's very scary. And in that moment, uh, where you're feeling this fear, I felt, you know, God saying to me, this fear you're feeling, uh, like, what do you, like, what are you going to do with this? Like, where, where do you find your solid footing? Where is your hope? Is your hope in whether or not this rocket launches successfully? Or is your hope in me? Because the scary part about that launch is that either way it was going to go, and, and spoiler, it was it went well, it was a successful launch, uh, but either way, whether it was good or bad, it was scary because there was all these unknowns at the end of either of those paths. Even if it was successful, which it was, we didn't know how it was going to affect our marriage, his relationship with our kids. I mean, nine months is a very long time. We'd never parented children or had or or been married to someone while they were orbiting the earth before there's all kinds of unknowns I didn't know if I had the endurance to 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 be you know the uh, a good spouse and and mom and coworker and friend all those things in that nine months with everything going on so all these unknowns and God says to me you know what where is your hope if your hope is in life going well in uh in this rocket being successful in you being happily married and being financially secure, all these things that we build our hope on, then there's a good chance that that may not happen, right? And it's like, there's only one thing you can build your hope on, and that's me. And so I was faced with that, like in this real world moments of this launch where I kind of had to make a decision in that moment, where am I going to find my hope? And Mm. it was, that would be, would not matter on how this rocket launched or didn't. So um, I think a lot of people, though, have hit that same experience here in this pandemic. Like, you know, as you, you realize what your hope is built on when that thing is taken away from you. And so I think a lot of the anger and the angst and um, just the, the fear we're feeling as a society and as a culture right now is because a lot of us have built our hope and put our faith in things that are changeable whether that was, you know, whatever that was, finances, economy, politics, Mm -hmm. you know, your job, your marriage. Um, and, And God says, you know, all those things can be taken away from you. All those things can change. And during the pandemic, it did for a lot of people. And meanwhile, you know, God is patiently saying to us over here on the side, like, let me offer you something different. Let me offer you an alternative, a foundation that is unmovable, unchangeable. And honestly, when you build your life on me, it reshuffles all those other priorities your job your marriage your children your finances how you view community and vulnerability and for all those things uh, it reshuffles all of those into their proper place and and now you can build a life that is unshakable and mm-hmm. you can kind of dissipate that fear that would otherwise overwhelm you
0: Stacy Morgan here on the intersection you can find out more about her at theastronautswife.com Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Jeff Hunt, director of the Centennial Institute, the public policy arm of Colorado Christian University. In our recent conversation, he shared about the school's strategy to promote a pro-life perspective and gave his observations of the 2022 March for Life in Washington, D.C., which he attended along with a group of students. Here now from that conversation is Jeff Hunt.
4: CCU is a very unique school, we have it written down as a strategic priority. So if you go to our website, ccu.edu, we have our series of strategic priorities there, what we aim to do with the students and with the university. You know, clearly we want to teach them to trust the Bible, to live in obedience to it, to live holy lives, to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. But uh, we also have written there to impact our culture in support of traditional family values and the sanctity of life. So, it is a mission of the university to try to make the culture more pro life. And what i like to point out there is it doesn't just say train students. It says impact the culture. So, uh, we're on a much broader mission. uh, And a mission that we should be judged by, which is, are we making the culture more pro life? And so that organizes a lot of our thinking with regards to the actions that we take and what we wanna to try to implement. We uh, se- spend significant resources on events, on uh, flying our students out to the March for Life, on, uh, on supporting pro-life policies down at the State Capitol. So all of this kind of fits under that umbrella. But uh, you know what we've noticed, especially with younger people, is that the next generation is very pro-life. They have uh, grown up Watching their first pictures of their brothers and sisters taped to the refrigerator wall, being their sonograms, uh, they mm. they have kind of rejected this lie that it's just a clump of cells that needs to, that can be discarded, thrown away, uh, that it doesn't really matter. They go, no, that, that's my little brother Timmy or my uh, little sister Jane or whoever it might be. I, I knew her before she was here. We got excited about her. Uh, we Prayed for her. I even saw pictures of her before she arrived. So they've rejected that lie from the radical pro-abortionists that this is something that can be easily discarded. And they're fired up. They really see that this is the civil rights fight of their lifetime. Uh, they look back at the history of this country and they recognize that you know, some of the greatest achievements came through struggle. You know, the civil rights movement, uh, the right for women to vote, all those things uh, came through uh, action and, and uh, activism out there on the streets. And, and they're happy to get on a bus or get on a plane and fly all the way across the country to march and to try to make a difference because they see that this is their calling to bring an end to Roe v. Wade and to recognize the justice of the pre Mm.
0: I wanted you to just comment with respect to the significance of young people adopting that pro-life perspective and really being, as we might say, released into the world to do incredible exploits.
4: Uh, You're exactly right. The the institutions are critical, and unfortunately, institutions are dominated by an anti-God, anti-religion, anti-Christ worldview. And you need institutions, places like Colorado Christian University, where over 9,000 students are being educated to embrace the sanctity of life, uh, traditional family values, the original intent of the Constitution, limited government all those things that are important uh, to trust the Bible, to lead holy lives, to commit their lives to Christ. Because these are the leaders that are going to direct the future of this nation. These are the teachers that are going to teach the next generation. These are the business leaders. These are the homemakers. These are the, the, the pastors, the counselors, uh, the poets, the artists, the musicians. That was the brilliance of the university back when it started. Because it recognized that you had all these gifts and talents across a vast spectrum. And if we could professionalize it, if we could equip them, really educate them well, train them to think critically, to have, be rooted in truth and to be rooted in Christ, and then to go out and shape the world. Uh, unfortunately, many of these institutions that are anti-biblical, they are training a vast majority of the people in this world. And I think a lot of the challenges and problems we seek are or or we face or as as a result of that. So Christians must be engaged in higher education. There are institutions, not a lot, but there are institutions that are putting Christ at the center of all that they do, and they're preparing the next generation of leaders. We need more of these, uh, but that that really is the, the critical work At a place like Colorado Christian University is doing.
0: Jeff Hunt here on the intersection. The Centennial Institute website is centennial.ccu.edu. Well, we are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection podcast, the weekly production of the Meeting House, and you can find out more at meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the media center the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. There are also links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can also learn more about video content Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.